Chapter 9 of Unknown London, written by Walter George Bell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Janet. Chapter 9 London Stone. London Stone in Cannon Street crops up suddenly in London history so late as the year 1450, when Jack Cade, at the head of a shouting rabble, Rebellious hinds, the filth and scum of Kent, marked for the gallows, forced away into the city. Ligate, just twenty years before Cade, in a poem, speaks of a stone standing in Canyon Street, then called London Stone. The dates should act like an ice pack to reduce the warmth with which some theories of its antiquity have been advocated. Its Roman origin has passed into currency practically unquestioned. The late Sir Lawrence Gome so accepted London Stone, working hard till the last to establish his cherished belief that twentieth-century London comes down to its present possessors with unbroken continuity in customs and government from the city colonized by the Romans. He held it to be a boundary stone. Now London Stone he remarks, has always been a remarkable centre of rites, ceremonies, and traditions, which show it to have been held in reverence through the centuries. It stood on the western extremity of the first Roman London, which may perhaps point to it as one of the stone sides of the gateway which led to the Pomerium. And in the name of the adjoining parish, Pomroy, he fancies there may be preserved the word for this sacred Roman institution. Others have seen in London stone the Miliarium, the one central milestone marking London from which all the milestones raised upon the Roman roads through England registered their distances. These people point to its position in the centre of the longest diameter of the second and better known Roman London, the London bounded by the wall running by the line of Newgate, Cripplegate, Moorgate, Aldgate, and the rest, of which the original citadel formed only a part. The learned Camden, taking this view, believed London stone to be a miliary. Again quoting Sir Lawrence Gome, If London stone indicated to Roman Londoners of the second city a sacred point reminiscent of the earlier city, its later history would be largely accounted for. Its topographical position is the first help to such an indication, and when we have added the undoubted sacred character attributed to it throughout all latter history, the conclusion will, I think, be justified that London Stone represents the sentiment of Roman Londoners from the early city and camp which was enclosed in Londinium. Lacking Sir Lawrence's great enthusiasm, I have failed to find in all latter history that sacred character so postulated, or indeed, in any of it. Not for want of industry on my part, nor out of the natural combativeness of antiquaries for broken heads, but simply because it is not there. It may be heresy to suggest that London Stone is not Roman at all and has had nothing whatever to do with the Roman city. Let us go back to Shakespeare, and that short, boisterous scene in the second part of King Henry the Sixth, Act Four. London. 
Cannon Street. Enter Jack Cade and the rest, and strikes his staff on London Stone. Cade. Now is Mortimer lord of this city, and here sitting upon London Stone, I charge and command that, of the city's cost, the pissing conduit run nothing but claret wine this first year of our reign. And now henceforward it shall be treason for any one that calls me other than Lord Mortimer. Shakespeare is not history, and no one out of a playhouse would cite Shakespeare as an historian. But the point is that the dramatist in his passage closely follows Holinshed, except that the chronicler represents Jack Cade as striking London stone with his sword, not with his staff. Hollingshed was a London citizen, a diligent recorder of events in his own city, and be London stone Roman or not, Cade sitting astride it, and Lydgate's mentioned just before, are the earliest knowledge we have of this treasured city relic. Let me meet expert criticism by conceding at once that the name certainly is two and a half centuries older. It was a bigger stone originally, than is the fragment of it today preserved in the outer wall of St. Swithin's Church in Cannon Street, where every passer-by may see it. Old John Stowe, who wrote in Queen Elizabeth's last years, says of it, On the south side of this high street, near unto the channel, is pitched upright a great stone, called London Stone, fixed in the ground very deep, fastened with bars of iron, and otherwise so strongly set that if carts do run against it through negligence the wheels be broken and the stone itself unshaken the cause why the stone was set there the time when or other memory is none he thought there was some legend of the early christians connected with it everything it will be noticed points to london stone being very old and there is significance in the act of Jack Cade, striking it with his sword and crying, Now is Mortimer lord of this city, as if performing a customary ceremony on taking possession of the city. The Guildhall archives go back to the Conqueror's Charter to London, and in them are earlier references than these to London Stone, the name, the place. A moot question is, how far can we distinguish these from the actual stone relic? There was Henry Fitzalan de London Stane, the city's first mayor, and he was important. He became mayor in A.D. 1189. Footnote number one. An influential section of modern historians believe the mayorality to have been founded in 1191. End footnote and for twenty-three years thereafter, till his death, the citizens acknowledged him their mayor. The founding of the mayorality is shrouded in mystery, for not until 1214, twenty-five years after Fitzalan's first election, did King John give to the Londoners a charter to elect their mayor. Till Fitzalan, the city had been ruled by Portreeve, or Sheriff, or Justicar, there is much dispute as to the title, appointed by the king. It is inconceivable that the citizens should, for this long period, have usurped the royal authority, and John's gift 
can only have been an acceptance or confirmation of a state of things already existing perhaps based upon some charter which has been lost of henry fitzallen of london stone although so important to personages as london's first mayor we know very little unfortunately fitzallen was the son of alwyn and of alwyn we know nothing what made his position so strong that year after year for twenty-three years he and no one else should have been the accepted representative of the citizens such devotion must have been the reward for good services given it is most unlikely at that time that he was merely a merchant or tradesman we probably see in him a great burgher owning wide lands powerful wealthy able to maintain the citizens interests against covetous and unscrupulous kings and it may be presumed that he played a leading part in wrestling from the crown the first acknowledgment of the right of the citizens to govern their own affairs his name has come down to us as henry fitzalwyn of london stone often it is the little things that should be obvious and are so obvious that they are quite overlooked that when examined give a valuable clue in some historical puzzle has it ever occurred to you that there is no stone in london it has to be brought in from considerable distances kent provides the nearest source stain in its original meaning is a stone building and the word survives in the city in st mary staining and all hallows staining stone-built churches at a period when most of the churches were fashioned of wooden logs to this day the staining of a well is its stone lining in fitzalwyn's time in the twelfth century king richard cordelion was long abroad at the crusades there were no roads capable of supporting burdens over considerable distances but there was the thames capable in all weathers of bearing stone and boats into the city for the wealthy builder choosing that enduring material lesser men built of timber then and long afterwards the medieval city substantially throughout was composed of timber-framed houses so that when in king stephen's reign fire started among them burning amidst the wood and thatched roofs the flames spread from st paul's eastward consuming the bridge and the houses and churches and almost the entire city when john allen died in twelve seventy two sixty years after fitzalwyn he left by will his estate in a stone house in fleet street to robert and richard his sons a stone house was so uncommon that mere mention of it was sufficient without more detailed description henry fitzalwyn of london stone london's wealthy and powerful first mayor built for himself a stone house that is how it may be read it would be a significant thing among london's poor wooden hovels in twelve forty there was a john de londoneston who by the way murdered his wife by stabbing her with a sword otherwise we might never have heard of him it requires no tautly stretched imagination to conceive that henry fitzalwyn's stone-built house the home of the mayor the most powerful man in london the centre of its government serving the uses of both guildhall and mansion house became known as london stone just in this way st mary's stone-built church became known as st mary staining 
and all hallows church of which the mediaeval tower still stands behind mincing lane as all hallows staining of course it does not necessarily follow john de flatbrig did not reside amidst the open wind-swept timbers of fleet bridge nor did that potent mayor reynald de conduit find a wet domicile inside the water conduit they lived close by those well-known landmarks of old london where those who wanted them might find them as fitzalwin i frankly admit may have lived close by an aged and already well-worn stone a desperate fellow this i fancy someone saying of me he is no respecter of our most cherished traditions it will be seen that i await attack for what is here said is rank heresy and i recall words written by the late charles morley i must confess a warm affection said he for those ardent souls who devote their wisdom and energy to the exploration of the past a brick or a stone a piece of flint or a lump of mortar will provide them with material out of it they strike the spark of truth and it is only the foolish who laugh at their zeal and deem so much study unprofitable and childish i for one have always found them the happiest of mortals and archaeology capable of yielding greater and truer pleasure possibly than any form of recreation or pursuit which appeals to the meditative mind true but the salt of life the spice of it my old friend misses the little quarrels which archaeologists share with other men and which make the dry bones laid on the exhibits table kick again the late charles morley i wrote ah me how often one writes those words the late london stone much worn and battered is hidden in a pierced stone casing that almost encloses it and is still further concealed by close ironwork which has got into a deplorable state of rust a coat of paint even after wartime ought to be spared for it the grime of london has accumulated so thickly upon the stone that it is nearly impossible to tell which is the historic relic and which the mere casing some years ago members of the london and middlesex archaeological society were fortunate enough to be present when london stone was uncovered it then proved to be a piece of oolitic building stone all that has gone before leads up to this is there any need to assume as so many have done that london stone is a relic of the roman city there is not the smallest rag of evidence associating it with londinium all is vain imagining not a solitary mention of the stone itself occurs until far down in the era of medieval london may it not be merely an honored fragment of fitzalwin's stone house associations grew around it a large stone once perhaps a foundation stone bedded deep as stowe saw it it remained on the ground after the house above it had disappeared and the citizens had built their noble guild hall it continued through the centuries to mark the site and as a relic of the home of london's first mayor the first guild hall and mansion house the beginnings of independent self-government for the city i can understand the citizens sparing it and treasuring it if that be the true story of london stone then too 
I can understand Jack Cade's act of braggadocio and the words that accompanied it. Now is Mortimer lord of the city. The victorious rebel, astride the historical remains of London's first seat of self-government, considered that the stone he thus appropriated to himself secured to him the lordship of the city. What significance there can have been in his striking with his sword, an old Roman stone, I cannot imagine. What should Cade and his letterless rabble know of Roman London? Or the fifteenth-century citizens, for that matter? In Bovey Tracy, the little town on Dartmoor's wilds, stands a stone cross, and it used to be the custom for the mayor, on Mayor's Day, to ride round the cross and strike it with his staff on taking possession of his office. No suggestion of the Romans here. In Elizabeth's reign, London Stone seems to have had some legal associations. A character in Pasquil and Marfarius, 1589, remarks, Set up this bill at London Stone. Let it be done solemnly, with drum and trumpet. And look, you advance my color on the top of the steeple, right over against it. And again, If it please them, these dark winter nights, to strike up their papers upon London Stone. London Stone was moved from its original site on the south side of Cannon Street, where the railway station now stands, and fixed in its present place of security in St. Swithin's Church Wall in the year 1798. If it be necessary to take from its reputed age a thousand years, and to see in it a building stone of the first mayoral mansion and guild hall, I do not think it is thereby the less honored, but rather more. I am not asserting this as an ascertained fact. It is put up for a cockshy, to be knocked over by the first person who shall discover some other John, or Allen, or Simon, de London Stance, living in the lifetime of our first mayor, or will identify elsewhere the site of Fitzalwin's house, which, by the way, some have found at Salter's Hall. Meanwhile, as a suggested origin of London Stone, it seems worth considering. End of chapter 9